This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello, I am Chris Hambling, and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Podcast. Our second review show of the season looks back at a thoroughly depressing 1-0 defeat to newly promoted Sheffield United at Bramwell Lane. We'll be giving our views on the game and the major talking points from the week, all assisted by vocal contributions from you, the listeners, giving your own views on All Matters Palace. I'll introduce you to my panel right after this short break. Back of the Nest Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and term supply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, it's introductions to the panel time and first up... Cy Pizzi. Hello, Cy. Hi, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, good, good. You made the uh, journey to Bramwell Lane. How are you feeling? Oh, yeah, I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. As you can imagine, I'm really buzzing after that. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was painful, wasn't it? But but there were some nice shops there and I had a nice coffee, so positives. Well, there we go. It's important to talk positives as well as negatives and, and you've just talked about them all. So that's that out of the way. Um, next up, Mr. Mike Scott. Cy's easily pleased, isn't he? <laughs> yeah well there you go, go all the way to Sheffield lose one nil but a coffee sorts him out wow <laughs> how you doing uh, I'm alright yeah refreshed I had a, a week of very little palace obviously missed the Everton game because I had this bloody wedding that somebody put the first day of the season then I spent a week in Spain so I am refreshed and that game brought me straight back down to earth absolutely if there's one way to completely forget a holiday it's watching Palace um, certainly at the moment and finally, Mr. Dr. Kernas. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Dr. A couple of things for you. <laughs> so pre-show, uh, you, you wanted us to hurry this show along, didn't you? The recording along because you're you're cooking some chicken. So um, obviously yeah, the obvious. It. Yeah, you said you know obviously you're worried about it burning. So I thought obvious question: How long have you got till the chicken's ready? So what, what did you say? <laughs> I said an hour. Yeah, you said an hour. So obviously I assumed you were perhaps roasting an entire chicken or, or something, but cooking a, a chicken breast for an hour, right? Yes, 500 grams to be specific. Oh, I couldn't pronounce that word. Specific. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, because I'm on this diet, I'm trying to gain weight, go in gym. So yeah, but it's bur- I think I, feel, I have a feeling it's burning right now. And, yeah, well, because you're, you're not supposed to cook 
chicken breast for an hour. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, if you're cooking it on a low heat, it's going to be very dry. I mean, you're going to need a few pints of water with it. Um, or it's just going to be on fire, you see. Um, but well, we'll we'll get some updates throughout the show on what's happening with that, and you might have to run off and and yeah. put uh, a fire out in your kitchen. But <laughs> good luck with that. Um, and and another thing, we've obviously got the WhatsApp chat that we're we're we'll hear some clips from listeners, um, of course. Um, obviously, if you want to put the the contact details in your phone and send us some WhatsApp audio messages, uh, listeners at home, you can put o two o three. Five seven five one two six six in your contacts. Add us on WhatsApp, and then leave us voice messages to your heart's content. Um, Dale, you tried to do that in the form of Steve from Lincolnshire. So let's hear a little bit from Steve. Hello there, Stephen from Lincolnshire. I will just keep this one very short. So go right back, and honestly. Of right back should go right back into the flipping bench, but then again we have no depth there. What on earth was going on for that first goal? Well, that's me, Don. That's Steven from Lincolnshire. Hope you enjoy your show and good night. Now, sorry, it was Stephen from Lincolnshire. I've got yeah, Stephen from Lincolnshire. I have to, I have to <laughs> test the system just to make sure it's working and everything. And also, hopefully, this encourages other people to come on to the show and send their voice clips. Deal, mate. Is everything okay at home? No, you know what? I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Everything is okay, but my chicken, I have this chicken every single night and it was cooking and I was lying down on bed. I had nothing else to do and I saw the number and I thought, you know what? I might as well send a voice clip because no one else will. So I thought I'll do it. Well, look, there's a lot in there, but we've got a show to get on with. I, yeah. I just want to check one thing. Um, a clueless chicken. It was a... Headless. Headless yeah, but you, chicken. But it's, yeah. I'm pretty sure Stephen said clueless chicken. Which exactly. Was, confusing have you have you ever been to lincolnshire or met anyone from lincolnshire nope he was actually going to be from leeds but don't ask me why i picked lincolnshire i just picked it randomly upsetting um apologies to anyone from lincolnshire oh yeah oh sorry about that honestly i mean no disrespect to people from lincolnshire i'm pretty sure it's a nice place and there's probably a good steven there i've i've been there mate it was fine you know i think even people from lincolnshire will happily admit that you know, you've not done any harm to their reputation in any way, shape or form. Right, <laughs> let's get on with this. So first up, I want to talk, well, we're going to get straight into game reaction, to be quite honest with you, because obviously we're not just talking about a 1-0 defeat and, and Palace being unlucky. We're talking about a, an incredibly abject performance where, you know, from a coaching perspective, you probably have to say Roy was well and truly outthought. Uh, complete failure to react um, and for once we couldn't even get the we were better in the second half comment because we were considerably worse in the second half after a pretty dull first half so so much wrong with it um gonna be very very difficult to present any real balance in this but we're just gonna have to get stuck in i think um but first up let's hear from uh the first listener clip of the day from darren um who's summing up the match uh from where where he stands well what can you say about that that was a an absolute disgrace from start to finish. Devoid of any confidence, any ideas, lack of interest by players. PVA looked like he was somewhere else. Wilf was clattered in the second half, I don't know how many times. Rotation on him was just like watching Watford. Um, again, it's just, I can't see where the ideas are coming from. It was absolutely pathetic from start to finish. 
there is no ambition going forward. No one, no creative ideas from anybody, including Wilf. Um, the substitutions were boring. There's just so lacklustre. We're going to struggle massively this season. And, well, today we were beaten by a championship team that just wanted the ball more than we did. They won every ball. We were second to everything. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. You could have given us another half an hour, we probably wouldn't have scored. And that's not an entirely different sentiment to uh, Mason De Rosario, who uh, wrote on Twitter, got to say, Mason, that's probably the best porn star name I've ever heard. If that's your real name, fair enough. Uh, just said there isn't one specific point to vent about. We were absolutely shit from front to back. And uh, yeah, just got a series of people liking that tweet. So uh, yeah, succinct way of saying what Darren said. Well, absolutely right. Yeah. And um, it, it's difficult to argue, isn't it? Because, and there's a few things I've picked out from, from what Darren said there. And obviously, we'll be going through the, the lineup and the tactical setup and the subs and all that kind of stuff myself in a short while. But if I can start where I, I totally agree with, with Darren in the sense that he pointed out the foul rotation that was on Wilf. And it was interesting hearing um, Chris Wilder talk after the game about just said blatantly that we knew who we had to stop. We had to stop the front three. We had to stop Wilf, Benteke and Townsend. Uh, although obviously we play a 4-4-2, so didn't quite get that right. But he, you know, he, he identified our key players, the ones that were most likely to create something and just nullified them. Um, and, and that's where we get this, this, the questions that Darren's raised, which was, you know, what, where were the ideas? Where, why, you know, this called the subs boring um, because, you know, the options on the bench, it was just same for same. And that's almost the squad that, that Roy has built. Now you can argue whether or not he's the one who contributed to building it that way. But if you don't, you don't have that much different on the bench. Um, so there's an awful lot to sort of take in there, but you know, from, for me personally, I think the fact he called it pathetic from start to finish. And we have that comment echoed in a, in a more, like you say, potentially succinct way from Twitter. I think that that's the overriding feeling from, from everyone really. Um, I'll just let's get Dr. and Cy in on this. I mean, first of all, I'll start with you, Dr. Talk of, of foul rotation on Wilf, but was that the full story, or you know, was he one of the people that Darren was perhaps talking about when he said some players didn't look interested? I think with Wilf's foul rotation, it's not the first time this has happened. Watford last, well, I think it was Troy Deeney that last season he came out um, publicly and spoke about it as well. Teams will target Wilfred Zaha and it's not even rocket science. He's our best player out there. So it makes sense. Just like we will target uh, whatever our position's best player is like. It's, that's what you that's what you do in football to, to nullify them. And it worked. But what was the most disappointing thing for me was the fact that when Wilfred Zaha was on the ball and he was not fouled, and it, it happened majority on the left-hand side, which is where Max Meyer comes in, he had no support. And Wilfred Zaha is not God. He's not going to go past four players every single time. As as good as he is, he's just not. Because teams are so aggressive on him, he, he physically can't. I don't care what player you are, you're not going to. And then that's when other players like Max Meyer and Van Aanha on the left-hand side come in. But they didn't show themselves to Wilfred Zaha yesterday and they made his life much worse. And it's not a good start. It's really not a good start. I feel like overall, we were just outdone tactically. And... In terms of like the players um, lacking idea and creativity, yes, you could blame the players to a certain extent, but I feel like it was more than that. I feel like the tactics out there were just horrendous. 
Well, I think, I mean, f- first of all, going back to, to the lack of support from Wilf, we were talking pre-show about this. and On Match of the Day 2, um, Danny Murphy did some, some really good analysis and they picked a couple of really good clips for this, just showing how uh, Sheffield United went about doing doing what we said, which was to nullify our attack. They they had eight men behind the ball without a possession and every single one of those eight players, if they were ahead of the ball, they absolutely bust a gut to get back. But they didn't just run back into position. They they actually attacked the ball. They actually went to the player carrying the ball. And in, in most cases, as you say, that was Wilf. And within seconds, he looked up and was, was three people around him. And the way you deal with that, you know, opposition, of course, they, they can choose to put a number of people on Zaha. But the way you deal with that is by getting people forward and making sure that they've got something else to think about. A player, you can't put three people on Zaha if there's three other attackers up there in the, in the vicinity. Um, but we didn't do that all game. And and the really telling point was the, was the clip, again, used on, on Match of the Day 2's highlights, which was showing six of our team marking two of their players. Now, that is where this consistent tactical approach absolutely hangs us out to dry. This whole, we're going to keep our shape, we're going to be inflexible with it, and we're going to rely on our front players to create something. It falls apart when teams know what you're going to do, and it's not new. People are kind of almost talking as if, you know, it's one bad game. This was all last season at home, and, and now it's happened in our first away game of this season, where we have just set ourselves up to fail by not reacting and not setting ourselves up for the opposition. 3-5-2, we're playing a narrow 4-4-2. So what we ended up doing was having, you know, just every single part of the field, we ended up being outnumbered. We were outnumbered in, in attack because we had two people up against eight players half the time. We were outnumbered in midfield because they had a central mid three, midfield three against our two and it completely cut off the supply to the wide midfield players in Townsend and Mayer who were just out of the game completely. And then when they actually broke forward, they got numbers forward and actually actually ended up outnumbering us in key areas on the wing. So how can you play 11 v 11 and be outnumbered all over the pitch at, at key moments? It's It was absolutely horrendous. Um, I've ranted a bit there. Sorry, have you got anything to add? Yeah, no, I think you're right, Chris. Spot on. It was adject tactically, and it was from start to finish. And, but but when you were in the crowd there on, on at the game yesterday, it everyone was shouting and accusing Wilf of being disinterested, and 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 it did look like that because it looked like he wasn't willing to take anyone on. And it was only when I got home and watched the highlights match today too, like you, Chris, you saw. Well, actually, thought there's no point taking them on because there's four or three, uh, three or four people around me. So it it wasn't that he wasn't interested, which was the accusation from the crowd. It was that he realised he had nowhere to go. And but but there was everyone was static. It was like an awful game of Sabutio. No one was moving. It was just every single player was was static. And then to make things worse, when we did get the odd chance to break, the passes were misplaced. They were sloppy. There was lethargic. So not only were we tactically inept, the players didn't seem like they were prepared. And it's the same old, same old. Second game of the season. It looks like we need another four weeks of preseason. I I, I know you talked about preparation. Um... Both of you there quite a bit. Uh, but what struck me is if you think what the last four times we've played Leicester in the league, we've beaten them. Um, I think they're what they've scored one. Um, if there's the right team um, playing us that Roy's tactics work against, um, it looks great. So he keeps digging himself out of a hole because we're not going to play teams like this every week. There are some that don't do their homework on us, and then 
you know, it, it does kind of show up the fact that there are a lot of teams in the Premier League that do keep doing the same thing and it works against some people and not others. And the teams that are flexible and, and sort out their tactics in advance are probably going to do better. Um, so it's, it's nothing new. And, you know, it could find that we end up getting a point or three against Man United and everyone will go, oh, it's fine. Um, but it's not fine because this isn't going to change unless something different happens. Yeah. The thing that I'm more, not more, most interested about is, yes, people always talk about plan B and plan C, but what was our plan A going forward on Sunday? Because I had zero clue. Half of the time, we'll kick the ball up to Benteke. We'll do that a bit. And then other time, we'll just give it to Wilfred Zaha. And as I said, he'll just get, he'll just lose the ball because there's just too many players on him. And it's just not acceptable. If we had so many new players in a starting eleven, then I would, understand to a certain extent maybe they're not on the same page give them a bit of time but Roy's been our manager for over a year now he has and yet we're going into a game which the players seem clueless on what they have to do going forward it just seemed like playground football out there and playground football yes it sounds exciting when you're in school but when you're in the Premier League this is what's going to happen when you have to have a set of instructions and proper instructions to be able to score goals and be effective going forward, and it just didn't—it just didn't seem like we had. Like it didn't seem like the players knew what was going on. I, I can't agree with the Clues thing. I think they're, they're absolutely drills in one particular type of playing uh, that did not work. Um, I, you know, they're, they're absolutely wedded to a particular way of playing, um, and they're amazing at it. You know, you, you don't get, you don't get a nil-nil draw of Everton unless you drill Joel Wards properly into the ground. Um, and I, I think it's more that they don't think for themselves and that's what causes the problems. But what what is our way of playing then? Because honestly, looking at the Sunday game, I honestly don't know. I'm not even taking a mickey. I'm, what was our way of playing? Going forward especially, like what, what was it? I want to know. The, the same sort of slow passing build-up thing. Um, that he's been trying for for absolutely ages, and obviously against the newly promoted, excellent, uh, excellently run side that you know swaps positions and has defenders in front of strikers and all sorts. You know it's not going to work. I mean, the way I would sum it up, I know exactly what you're saying, Dio, because it, when you watch the game, you know for the full ninety minutes, it wasn't just a case of periods in the game for the whole game. All we were we were doing exactly as Mike says. We we're trying to do what we always do, which was set up in a narrow four four two, rely on our front players, particularly away from home, relying off on our front players, getting a bit of space and breaking, and, and trying to take whichever whatever chances come our way. Um, and as we talked about, it does work in some circumstances, but it it was com- completely obvious from kind of minute one that it was nullified. And it goes back to what I was saying before. You can't even think about how to attack and create and score goals when the the fundamentals aren't there. You, you were, They let us pass the ball around the back. If you look at the amount of touches, I think Terence tweet, tweeted off the um, redbluearmy.co.uk account where he, he pointed out that I think the mo- the top seven touches were all defenders, goalkeepers and, and midfielders. In terms of who had the ball, but it, you know, in terms of midfielders, it was the central midfielders: Mayer, Wilf, Townsend, Benteke, 
Um, none of those, those, those were the, they saw the least of the ball. Now, you can always talk about what a great job the opposition have done on you in those circumstances. And that's not the point. The point is the absolute failure to react and to change and to try anything different. The, the approach is to do the same things and eventually, over the course of a season, it'll even itself out to a reasonable league position again. But it doesn't feel like it this season. It doesn't feel like that that's going to wash, particularly if we can't rely on uh, what was su- superb away form last year. I think the fact that we can't quite agree on this uh, is reflected in the the comments, social media comments, that we had absolutely tons this week. I mean, tons. I, I know everyone was pretty angry, but thank you. Keep them coming as ever, read them all as ever, and we'll try and mention as many as we can. Um, so, Peter Windsor, um, players looked off the pace and underprepared, and then he said formation and tactics offered nothing going forward. Um, I, you know, I think that's reflected. Can I? So, yeah. Yeah, I just want to just jump in on what, what Peter said there because it just it triggered something in my brain again. We talked about the fact that we were off the pace. I've, I've had a problem with this for a while and I've mentioned it on the show as well. I genuinely think that, that Roy has quite, and he, he said it in, in various interviews, he has a relatively pragmatic approach. And he talked pre-game about, you know, oh yeah, this can be a big occasion for Sheffield United. So what we have to do is we have to kind of accept that, remain calm, remain patient. And that, that to me, is one of the inherent problems of us under Roy Hodgson. And that is that we we come out with the players with this mindset of, yep, let's just see this out for a few minutes. Let's just remain calm. If we play our football, it will calm, all this kind of stuff. And I think that works if you've got immense quality where your system is always going to overpower the opposition just because of the quality of players you've got. But in, instead of that, we have a squad where you really have to be using people in their best positions. You have to have the ability to you know, work work to your tactics so you get your best players on the ball. I mean, you know, it's obvious we want Wilfred Zaha on the ball in space. So we need to set ourselves up to do that. And we don't because we want to play the system. We want to recover position and all this kind of stuff. But I think this perceived kind of lack of effort, I don't think it's a lack of effort at all. I think it's a complete and utter wrong mentality if you're facing up against Sheffield United who are lower on quality than because you know they'll admit that themselves but they are a team unit they fight for everything you have to match that first in, in my opinion if you don't match that first it doesn't matter what else you do or how calm you are you will end up losing because they just they're giving it more than you are and it's not through want of trying it's just it's, it's the mentality yeah I can't argue with any of that um and then, uh, Justin, tactics are awful, back four dreadful. I and mean, we'll come on to the back four in a little bit. Um, Tony G, uh, a similar comment, but um, a display lacking creativity and where Sheffield United dominated us when they were out of possession and were a constant threat when in possession. Palace, Palace typically slow starters, but it's a worry nonetheless. Um, yeah, uh, similar again. Um, Jamie Muller, one of the worst in recent years. No creativity, no ideas, and no passion. Um, yeah, I, I think people people were talking a lot about um, a lack of creativity and ideas. Um, other people went for the for the no passion. People um, saying that they were, you know, people hadn't put in the effort. Um, so it was it was a mixture between a lack of ideas and people just blaming players that didn't want to play for the shirt. I, I think I'm definitely. I veer towards the the former, um, and I think that the team represented the manager very heavily against Sheffield United, and I, th- I think that kind of game to me um, shows the the worst side of Hodgson. Um, not saying it's time for him to go or anything like that, but there is a side to him that's that 
that isn't quite there and, and this kind of game just highlights it. I think you're right, Mike, but there's there's something about the fact that we are slow starters and I got into a uh, debate with someone outside the ground afterwards so we, we're down, we're down. And I said, we don't, we do not start well, we never start well. And if you look at some stats that was on the BBC website, it said Palace have won only one of their last 11 Premier League matches in August. And that just shows you how bad we are in that month and it shows you we're not ready to start the season. I think that last one we won in August was probably the fuller one last season, but we've won one one, it, one of our last 11 August games. And other than when we came up, that's a really poor run of form, isn't it, in this first month? Well, just before DR jumps in, I, I think that's where our approach, and it's not just about our managerial approach, that's where our approach to the window and our approach to pre-season has got to come into question. And um, I'm sure we'll touch more on that um, throughout this show and throughout the season, but I just wanted to bring that to um, to the fore at that point. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Yeah, I just wanted to just discuss about the passion thing once again. I just, I honestly don't think it's about passion. If our tactics were different and if we were a pressing team, then you would see, oh, people would be like, oh, look, we're passionate, we're going at it. But the way that we're tactically set up, we're, it, it sounds crazy, but... You just automatically think you're not passionate because we're not out there. Roy doesn't demand the players to go and chase the ball down and press high. So that's another thing. And then going forward, yes, we're meant to be a counter-attacking team and be fast. But on Sunday, it was opposite. It seemed like, oh, it was time to slow things down. And if you look at the two things, it just it automatically makes you think that we're not passionate rather than it's not the case for not being passionate. It's just how they're set up to be. And I don't think people consider that as much. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Dior. It is, it's exactly that. Um, it's what I was talking about in terms of mentality. I think it's very easy to talk about running about, being being sort of passionate. I will point out that um, and it annoyed me a fair amount um, after the game. One of the things that Roy said in, in one of his interviews was he criticised the work rate of the two up front. We don't we work hard enough up front, up front. But you just have to look at what, what the scraps that they were being fed. And you have to ask that question, well, what are you asking from them? Because if we don't know how we're going to get the ball to them and you're asking them just to to chase people down, you know, two people to chase down a back five plus two midfielders dropping in. If, if you're asking two players to chase all that down and, and have an impact on the game, then what you're doing really is you're blaming the forward players who aren't, you know, Wilf can chase people down, but Benteke, that's not his game. You could argue it should be and he should re- adapt, but... It, it's not realistic to to say that the fault 
the reason that the, that we struggled was that the two front players didn't work hard enough. Who would want to be in a system like that in in that game? Can you imagine being in Benteke's shoes or or, or in Zaha's shoes through the course of that game, just watching the whole thing sort of fall apart in front of you and having to react to effectively very little ball to feet or ball to head and just try and do your best and then have no support around you even if you do get hold of the ball it must be soul destroying and uh, we did tweet out uh, one of the red top papers put an article up uh, with Benteke's comments about the games you know saying that there was a lack of crosses um, a lack of service and you got to remember that he's playing uh, for a manager who clearly asked him to not go running uh, to the keeper to chase the ball and that kind of thing um, it's not it's not his choice he's, he's, he's been he's been set up to do that uh, just finish off the, the Twitter comments with um, one from HW9CPFC um, just said where the, where has the team spirit gone uh, fair, fair few likes from people from that uh, and then Gaz has replied saying according to Cahill and Luca's recent interviews it's as strong as it ever was uh, so their reply back was forgot to bring it today then um, so you can't get rid of the fact that that people do tend to to blame it on spirit and and um, how much people want it, which you know is always a factor. But I think it's because we're not there, because we're we're fans. And we get we get too passionate ourselves and forget that it is a game of football played by mostly mercenaries. Yeah, I, I think that that's part of it. I I don't think Cahill's making that up in terms of the spirit. He's you know he's going to tell it how it how it feels to him. I think it's pretty clear most of the players. That talk. I mean, Luca in his interview about signing a new contract talked about his admiration for Hodgson, and from what I understand, that's that's pretty much across the board within the squad. Um, they they you know they love what playing for Roy uh, and what he stands for, but they can't be enjoying playing the way we're playing, and and that's I think that at some point that's gonna 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 cost us. I would say personally, I I do wonder about. The num, you know, the, the the number of leaders in that team. You, you look at people who should really be. When obviously Luca's the captain, he's talked about the fact that oh, there's lots of different captains of, if you like, of, of of the squad. You know, someone like Cahill coming in, I would really hope will help that, and uh, particularly if you know he gets to start a game. Um, I'm really hoping that that will help because we do need some on pitch management. We do need the players to to kind of step up, and if things aren't working, you, you want to see them. You know, maybe change a little bit themselves and maybe Roy doesn't like that or doesn't want to see it but but you you know the very best teams have players who are able to react on the pitch and kind of be that that extra coach if you like yeah we've wanked on about leaders plenty of times before it's it's definitely true um I think there was one ball that came over and I think it was the one that Joe Ward ended up having the ball shot at his arms for when they were calling for a penalty um ball was looped up in the air anyway uh, and and Milivojevic was just sort of looking under the ball um, and and the rest of the defence behind him uh, looked as though they were looking around for somebody to just go, you need to do this. They just needed Sacco, even if he wasn't on the pitch, to be pointing from the sidelines going, get on with it. Um, it definitely lacked <laughs> a Sacco. And oh, we've got to remember that this is a second string uh, back forward playing for the, for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they are missing Sacco big time and Milivojevic has not filled that hole enough. Definitely. Um, we've got some more clips coming up in a sec to, to um, address other areas of the reaction to the game. Uh, but I do want to take a moment to talk about our lineup. We've talked quite a lot about the tactics, so no need to get into much more detail about that. But first up, let's just talk a little bit about the fact that IU was man of the match last week and found himself dropped this week. Um, 
Go on, Sai, I'll, I'll let you jump in on that first. It was, I think it was the natural sort of conclusion, wasn't it, to Zaha coming back on. But I did feel really, really sorry for him because I thought he played really well. And I actually felt that we missed him in the game. We missed someone who had his level of energy because he, he you know, ran from box to box effectively um, against Everton. And he, and he did have a really good game. So it was a shame to see him go. But there was no complaints. I think what we had in the squad for us to pick from, that was probably our strongest team. But I was surprised to see you no know, Camarasa on the bench. I'm not sure if he got injured in the under 23s. I think he played in, but yeah, it was, that was the only shock really. Not seeing him available. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll come to Camarasa in a second. You're right with IU in the fact it was the natural change, and a few people talked about you know you can accommodate Wilf by by letting IU lead the line and take Benteke out, and I think that is probably the biggest clue to what Roy wanted us to do in that game uh, and how he wanted to approach it. We, he wanted that focal point up front, that player to for the rest of the team to play around. But you then just have to ask, how could we not get the people up in support? How could we not actually try to play around Benteke? And how can we not put the ball into the box for him? You know, that's, that's the bottom line. There's no sense in, in you know, you, you could argue don't make that change. Don't put Ayu to lead the line because he's not suitable to lead the line like Benteke is. But then if you completely negate Benteke's strengths with the way that you play, you may as well have put Ayu in, in the first place because you'd have had someone who would, hey, guess what? Roy had done that work that you didn't want, that you didn't feel that the front front two had done. Ayu would have done. He'd have put that shift in, chased everything down, and maybe would have got a different result. It just seemed absolutely bizarre to not play to the strengths of the players that you're picking. Don't pick them then. If you want to play that way, don't pick the players that don't suit it. Um, it, is, it really is frustrating and baffling at times. And that that's how I ended up feeling about IU being being dropped, even though pre-game I very much felt that it was just it was just obvious that it was going to happen. We were obviously going to put Zaha in the team. You know, he's staying and suppose you know, and he's focused on on playing for Palace for the foreseeable. So of course you're going to get him in the side. And of course, if you're going to play the way we usually play you know unfortunately IU has to miss out uh, we talked a little bit about Cahill not playing I was quite surprised given the comments that were coming out of the club in the week that he he didn't get a chance but um you know I, I do think that it won't be too long before one of Dan or or Kelly is dropped for him and and I'll be honest with you the way I feel I, I felt pre-game was that it would be Dan and I, and I probably think that's still the case I just think Cahill is as strong in the air um, and possibly just that little bit quicker on the ground. Not particularly quick, but quicker. Um, and I think really it's the leadership that I want to see. It's the leadership and also the player himself. He's just better than Scott Dan. And it's just simple as that. I feel I feel like Cahill next week against Manchester United needs to start. Scott Dan, when, even when he was captain, people were looking at him and saying he's not vocal enough. And I don't think that's going to change. We just, as you mentioned, Chris, his leadership, yeah, will be massive boost but his actual technical abilities we need him there as well because we have a right back in Joe Wood I know we're going to talk about our right backs and left backs um, after but we've got a back line who just isn't strong enough and right now we're not playing to our strength so we need to have our best players playing out there and I think Cahill was one of the better centre-backs Let's remember how conservative uh, Roy is though and this is a man that's played what three games in the last 12 months um, so as much as we probably expect him to start um, yeah wouldn't wouldn't shock me in the slightest if he decides he's going to give him another three months of pissing around first. 
KO doesn't want that. But I, that's the thing I don't understand. When KO came to, came, came to the club, he must have spoke to Roy and Steve Parrish because he was moaning last season at Chelsea when he hardly had any opportunities. He came here expecting that he should play. That's what I'm thinking behind this thing. He wouldn't come Palace to be a role player. So why would you... If you sit him out for three months, I could see things going toxic because he's. it sounds like he's ready and he thinks he's ready and we're not performing that great. So he deserves to play. It's a timing thing, but I, yeah, I think he'll be in sooner rather than later. If not, you're right. It will be. It will turn toxic pretty quickly because you know there's, there's no reason not to be playing him right now. Um, so I, I got. I was my... just going to say we've got the Colchester game coming up, so um, it would make sense <laughs> for me to for him to have a game there to get his fitness up before he starts starting in the Premier League. Yeah, so I just I laughed a little bit because it just had in my head that he'll play against Colchester and then then be dropped. But. Um, there's, there's a so I mentioned Camarasa not being selected. He was in the squad initially. Thought it might have been because of the knock he took uh, playing for the under twenty threes, but seemingly fit to start. And I suppose what my issue with it is, we don't know how Camarasa will do. So I think Common who someone tweeted me. Apologies for forgetting your name, saying that he wasn't particularly impressive in the under twenty threes. I actually disagree with that. I thought he was very good, although he made a made an error for for the goal that we conceded. I thought he looked very very tidy on the ball, but. For me, when you've got Coyote and McCarthy both on the bench, I think they're quite similar. I think Coyote, perhaps a little bit like Jeffrey Schlupp, I think perhaps those two having a degree of versatility in how many positions that they can cover, that might be why they got on the bench over Camarasa. But, you know, when we're looking to score goals and create and do something that a little bit different, you, you want a player who's renowned for doing that. And Camarasa is that type of player. And it's not like he hasn't played in the Premier League. You know, played a fair few games last season for Cardiff and, and excelled. So I, I don't quite understand again why we're not at least having him there as an option if we needed to do something different. And let's face it, in this game, we did. We needed a spark. And, and I thought McCarthy was really good off the bench, to be honest, but it, it was never going to be that that creative spark, I don't think. I'm worried. I'm, I actually am because Camaras was, was the one player that I was actually looking forward to seeing this season uh, due to what Cardiff fans said and then also how he just performed in the Premier League last season with that Cardiff squad. But the fact that he was... Um, this is what Jack Rosser tweeted. He said, no real concern from Palace over Camarasa Fitness. He's here with the squad, just not named in 18. And Jeffrey Slup just walks in coming back, coming straight back from injury. I'm just... If Roy doesn't like Camarasa and he keeps him out of the squad... I feel like people are just going to switch up on him quickly because you have a new signing there and you have to have him at least in the squad by what people are saying. I know training ground, you might see something else, but you saw how we were yesterday. Um, tomorrow, uh, Next week against United, Roy really needs to put him in the squad, in my opinion. He just has to. There was a lot of people shouting a lot of abuse towards Jeffrey Schlupp, saying that the reason why Camarasa wasn't in the squad because... Yeah, Roy has to get his uh, his number one man Jeffrey Schlupp back in the uh, in the uh, squad for the game, which which you know I, I thought was a bit harsh. But actually, when he came on, he didn't like he brought anything to the team either, and I would have preferred to see Camarasa on there. But it just again shows you we, we've got a dearth of midfielders. You know, I think I think it was was it Red and Blue Army Terence tweeted a picture of midfielders coming to training at Palace, and it was a horde of people running through gates, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it is like that at the minute. But yeah, I was disappointed. I think I'd rather have Camarasa in there than Jeffrey Schlupp, but. Uh, yeah, wasn't to be. Well, I mean, I defended the the number of midfielders that we do have, and I, and I still maintain that it's because we play effectively at the very least three, if not four, a game. And if you if you're playing that many midfielders a game, it doesn't take 
much for you to be short, if you know what I mean. If, if you get a couple of injuries, a suspension, or someone completely out of form, your your squad can look very, very thin when that's the kind of dominant type of player that you pick. So I, I will defend that to a degree. However, if you then pick, again, it's just the same, the same players. Um, and, I, you know, I don't want to turn, turn this into a witch hunt against any players in particular, but for me, a midfield two of Luca and uh, James MacArthur doesn't really work for me. I don't think, I think the two ended up just sitting back and, and sort of playing from deep. I think you've got to have MacArthur running box to box. And if he's not able to do that, um, then you're really, you, you know, you're just you're just short up front, particularly if you're two, if Townsend and Mayer are, are staying out wide. And Max Mayer was too wide for the majority of that game. Uh, and then one moment he started to roam, he got taken off for Jeffrey Slup on 65 minutes, which seems to be the standard. But anyway, I uh, could go on about that forever. But let's um, let's take a bit of a deviation, get back to a listener clip. And we've got a, a particularly incisive question, I think, um, from the next listener. So let's hear that now. Francesca here. Why can't Palace push the ball to each other? So um, I know you want to go in first, but I think Dion needs to take that question first. So Dion, why can't Palace push the ball to each other? We're just clueless. <laughs> That's my response. <laughs> like, like clueless chickens, do you think? Exactly, like clueless chickens. <laughs> <laughs> go on, Si. Oh, that was hilarious. So, so that was so that was Francesca's third game, and she was just the whole game saying, "When are we going to score? Why aren't we passing the ball to each other? Why did he keep kicking it off? Why are we so rubbish?" And I said, "Look, I said you can have to leave a WhatsApp message because I can't answer all these questions anymore. It's just, it's just, <laughs> just, just watch the game." She said, "Oh, yeah, but, but we need to score. We need to score." I said, "I know we need to score." I said, yeah, but "Why? Why did he? Why does he keep passing into the red and red and white person?" I said, "I don't know. You need to ask Roy Hodgson." <laughs> <laughs> I can't answer these, but yeah, bless her. She she'd been to two previous games and both of them have been wins. I don't so just she, just to, to clarify, Francesca is your daughter. That's the one. She's five and she's not used to defeats. I don't think she likes losing. So um, she's been walking around today, uh, just saying how bad we were to everyone. So I think, but that's important. She's learned now that the reality of of being a Palace fan that that is it. But she left a message, and I think she's uh, looking forward to the next game, which is slightly strange because I'm not. Mm. you have to feel a degree of sympathy for her for what's to come for the rest of her life but at the same time she's asking the right incisive questions right now so there's there's a good football mind there as well so you love to hear it um, and unfortunately we don't have the answers to that question I don't know why they couldn't pass the ball to each other in a in a reasonable way um, you know to actually think about it I think you know and, and answer the question seriously I, I just worried about the options people have in possession. And, and one of the, the key people for that, and, and I'm going to talk about Joel Ward a little bit now because I, I'm not a massive fan of, of, of him these days at, at right back. And I think I think his weaknesses are exposed in the Premier League um, more so these these days than ever. That's not to try and disrespect him for what he's done for Palace. I just think that that's where I am with it. What I will say, though, however, is defending-wise, just get, you know, getting him getting his body in front of the ball. He's always there to charge a shot down. He's great when he tucks in alongside the, the, the defence. It's just he's exposed, exposed the further wide he gets, really. Um, but he's one where, this is where I talk about us having to you know, change our system to suit the players that we've got. It's no good trying to play the same way we were playing with wan in that position because Ward isn't as comfortable in possession. And if you're going to give him the ball, you have to give him two, three options for a pass straight away. Otherwise, you know, he, he'll either he'll hit it long up the line or he'll hit it long down the centre. 
it it doesn't really have much else, you know, or the, or the knock back to the the keeper or or a centre back. There's not really much else going there. He's not going to play a quick one two with Townsend and run past people. He's not going to move inside at pace and go past a couple of players like Wan Bissaka was doing. It really has exposed the system for what it is. And the, and again, that lack of reaction, that lack of that lack of playing to the players that you have available. Um, and he's he is getting exposed quite badly already, um, which is which is disappointing. Next up, we've got another clip which I've titled Sweary Woman. I'm just curious why the ref had more touches than half our fucking team. However, knowing the Palace, I do believe we might beat Manchester United next weekend. Still very, very painful to watch. Now, I do like that tone, I have to say. Um, it, you know that the tone of the kind of resignation and the swearing. It just reminds me of the towards the end of a relationship where the the irritation is turning to hatred. That's kind of how that how I feel about that, and I enjoy it. That's definitely my kind of person as well. Um, she did pick up <laughs> on something that I found really interesting um, on Talk Sport today. Um, for some inexplicable reason, Adrian Durham actually decided to discuss Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, this must have been his annual outing. Um, and a Sheffield United player uh, phone rung up and said Palace were deliberately kicking the ball at the referee um, to exploit this new uh, rule that once it's hit the referee, the ball just gets given back to the team that had possession. So um, if it's true, and you know, it probably wasn't, um, that could be why the referee was getting hit more than, than our players. Um, but the guy was was adamant that that's what we were doing and that would suggest that there is still a bit of wily old old boy in Roy left yet uh, yeah I know I, that was so funny every time the boy at the referee because we hadn't worked out that's the new law where you get the ball once the um, ball hit the referee and I don't think the players realised what was going on either because they're all kicking off every time the referee was picking the ball up and giving it back to Luca. everyone's like well, what, what, what the hell is he doing why is he doing that but uh, we only tweaked towards second half that, that that's the new rule. But no, it was it was to be honest with you, the referee had, had a better touch in than uh, definitely PBA and Joel Wall put together though. To be fair, but yeah, it was quite that's amusing when we were there. That's 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 actually hilarious. <laughs> the fact that we're that bad that people think we're actually just trying to you know pass the ball to the you know kick the ball to the ref just so we can have an extra touch. That, that just shows how bad our passing is. It really does. Well, uh, Durham replied by saying that he wouldn't credit Palace with having the skill to hit the ref at the moment uh, pretty standard <laughs> Durham I, I can't help I had exactly the same thought as you were talking about it which was yeah I think the Sheffield United fan is crediting us far too much our passing just is that shocking right now but um, interesting if true we'll have to keep an eye on that one throughout the course of the seasons see if any other teams are doing it as well okay our um, our next clip will take us into our kind of second main topic of the show Hello, back of the nest, uh, Ebo here um, from Twitter, um, long-time listener. Um, really just getting on after that game. I mean, it just, to me, just showed the lack of flexibility of anything Roy does. Um, I mean, much as I back him due to the lack of activity in the transfer window, I just wonder whether even if we had bought the players he wanted, whether anything would change. I mean, he insists on sticking with the same players, the same formation. Um I don't know. I mean, Benteke up front, yet you still don't tell the wingers to get balls in high and into the middle of the box. It's so frustrating. And then after 20 minutes, you know it's all going wrong. 
Maya playing on the left, totally out of position, not having a comfortable game. Maka doing nothing in midfield. Why not change things? Why not make it a positive move? It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Um, you know, matches I want, I want to back Roy this season. I, I just can't. I, I think it's time that he, we should have got rid of him in the summer. We should have said last season was his last season. We should have already found a replacement. Um, I don't know. We're going to struggle uh, until January. We're going to do our usual, try to panic by some players and hopefully it comes off as well as it has in the past. But I really, I don't know, after the last two performances uh, and, you know, off of last season's home form, I honestly think that we're in big trouble this season. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know what you and others think. So once again, someone succinctly putting the points across that we've spent 45 minutes talking about. So thanks for that, Ebo. Much appreciated. Um, we have covered some of that, but really I wanted to sort of kick this off with uh, how how far have we gone down the road as, you know, personally, each one of us, in terms of where where we see Roy's future? And, and from that, so I'm thinking about when I look at the, the first 11 that was picked, you, you can talk all you like about the fact that that the board failed to get a striker in, failed to get a replacement right back in. But when you look at the 11 that were picked and how we set up, you know, there can't be any doubt that we should be doing better, right? So for that reason, you have to look at Roy and you have to look at the staff and say, are they doing their job well enough to keep it, given the pressure that's on results in the Premier League this season? Are we now in a position where we're starting to think, Roy's at his time. I, I have a feeling that his time, he hasn't got that much time at Palace. And it will honestly, if it continues like this, if we see performance like this, because last season you saw it at Selhurst, where at times it just felt like a library because no one, there was nothing to be encouraged about. And so many people were frustrated last season. And if we continue to play like we did last season, which, which was similar to what happened in Sheffield, I feel like people are just going to lose it way earlier than many think. I, I could see Roy leaving in around December, November-ish, if performances don't improve and if we don't actually change our style of play. Because as you said, Hambo, yes, we haven't got the greatest squad, but we've got a decent squad and we're not taking advantage of it. And that's what I've been saying since day one with Roy Hodgson, is that, yes, he will, he could keep us up, but we're not taking advantage of Wilfred Zahl's prime. We're not taking advantage of having likes of Max Meyer in the squad. So... I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Roy this season and in the coming months because you could you could actually see him leaving earlier than expected. I really don't think there is that much pressure on him. Hodgson at the moment to me is reflecting the transfer strategy, um, which was hopefully tread water. Um, you know, that's what Hodgson does as a manager. Treads water, keeps you up, that kind of thing. Um you know, signing, what was it, three million, two and a half million and a one and a half million player. Um, that's that's dreading water. Um, I wouldn't say we got a vastly better side for starting 11 than, than Sheffield United. You know, if you didn't have Wilf playing, um, I'd say if you picked a starting 11, it would probably be split down the middle. Um, people are still thinking that we have this sort of divine right and a, a better squad than most. But it's got to the point now after four windows of, of inactivity that I don't think we do have a better squad than any side, really. Um, and Hodgson's going to be there. To, he'll bail people out and make sure they end up 17th or above. Um, so, 
right now I can't see it changing. All I would say is Mourinho currently is still out of a job. So, you know, that could be, he does love Palace. I always remember our interview with Parrish on the whole radio a few years back where he says, if you don't keep on moving forwards, you know, you go backwards. And I think, Mike, you're spot on. The last four windows, we've we've stood still and we've gone backwards. And I, I, I think, I, I, other than, my only criticism of Roy would be, would why have we moved so far away from the tactics that Exam deployed of having Andros and, and Wilf on the wing, whipping balls into um, Benteke. And I think, I'm not sure if it was the Bournemouth game and the Everton game where Benteke flourished in that system. I think we need to go back towards that as my only criticism. But we've gone backwards. We've had four transfer windows of inactivity. And I, I think you know Roy Hodgson's the best man to keep us up in, if that's going to be our continued strategy, I think. I was I was just going to say how uh, Mike I just I just disagree with your point that yes I don't think we have a top six squad but let's say we had Chris Wilder as our manager and he he's 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 not like Roy and basic with his approaches he has overlapping centre backs etc let's we let's say we had Brendan Rodgers as a manager let's say we had Daniel Farke as a manager or just one of them lot I just I just see us doing better than we're doing right now honestly I feel like people's expectation has decreased. Just because of what Roy's getting out of these players. These players, you could get way more out of them. For that's a fact. Mamadou Saka, you have Mamadou Saka, you have Wilfred Zaha, all right, Christian Benteke, even him, we're not playing to his strengths. Um, Andros Townsend, that's questionable. But you have Max Meyer, you have Luca Milivoy. If you can get the best out of these them players, which we're not getting right now, and I can see another manager getting um, we'll be a different side and I feel like your perception will change uh, I mean you're right in that we, we were missing some key personnel and with Sacco in there it does look different um, but people have raised tinted glasses about this side and, and I've tried I've consciously tried in the last month or so to look at other sides compared with ours um, and I do feel that the, the standard of the Premier League is just so much it's so much better than last season um, I think it's just going to be a lot harder because We've got some great players in amongst some very average ones. I, I, what I'm going to say on this is that I, I feel somewhere in between. I do think we have a tendency, which every every club kind of does, every support, set of supporters does, where they tend to slightly overrate their players uh, in comparisons to others. And in particularly when you're talking about newly promoted teams, they're always written off as championship teams when they come up, all that kind of stuff. But um, I, what I will say is one of the factors of of newly promoted teams, especially early on in the season, which let's face it, we have played Sheffield United in their first home game. Um, I think a lot of teams are going to have difficult games against Sheffield United, particularly at, at Bramall Lane. So I'm giving it, trying to give it a little bit of context and a little bit of a positive spin. But what, what I'm really sort of getting at is that the key thing for me is if you're starting to compare individuals with individuals, you can probably still argue a case that Palace have a much stronger squad, much stronger first eleven than any than, than a lot of teams in the league. Um, not you know, you're sort of edging towards at least four or five teams where you'd say we, we have a we have a better squad at the very least, if, even if you're being conservative. But what I would say is team is the kind of optimum optimum word there. The teams that have come up are used to winning, are used to they've had great seasons to get promoted, they've had the buoyancy of promotion. We know from from experience that to get promoted from the championship to the Premier League, the absolute minimum you have to have as well as talent is a really tight knit group all working together, all working unbelievably hard for each other, covering each other's mistakes, dying to stop that ball going in the net. And we don't really have a team that does that at the moment. 
So it's the it, for me, it's the team, the sum total of Sheffield United's players. As individuals, they might not cut it in our view, but as a team, they proved that they were far superior because of their work ethic, because of their system, because of their preparation. Um, but whether that will sustain them throughout the course of the season is by the by. But for us, there's a, there's a really important lesson to learn there um, and, and not a new lesson and certainly not a new lesson for Roy Hodgson. So there you go. That's, that's kind of my thought. On it. I mean, I, I'm going to sort of nail my colours to the mast a little bit. Um, I've, I've got to be honest, and I, I, I've sort of flitted around the state of being being done with Roy last year. And in a couple of the shows, I said I'm done with him. And in a couple of the shows, I said, well, those comments, I look really stupid with those comments now because he's, he's turned it around yet again. Um, but I'm in that place now where even my usual, I mean, it's not fun, but he'll keep us up attitude is now wavering and I'm I'm da- I think we're in danger of it not being fun and him not keeping us up because I just don't think half the team wants to play the way we play and I don't think that that's going to change so I'm I'm very much edging towards a change and another big factor in that is how often to the teams to teams to teams change managers very, very often at Premier League level, you don't get longevity anymore. The you know the longer-serving managers tend to be the ones that have been promoted with their teams and get to hang around a little bit because they've earned that little bit of credit. Um, a fresh approach, a fresh look at things. You know, I'm getting towards that point where I think it's necessary, um, and I don't feel good about that. It's just how I how I feel. So that's um, yeah, talking a little bit about Roy again. I think most people I would sum it up are saying that we want to see. You know, we're not talking about getting rid of Roy if we can see us doing something different. We just don't want to see the same thing week in, week out and play the percentages and hope we get enough points. And I think that's what's really causing this malaise and and indeed frustration. So let's talk a little bit about the fullback situation before we um, move towards wrapping this up. Um, we talked about Joel Ward today and we talked about PVA last week and an improved defensive performance clearing one off the line. But do we have, gentlemen, modern fullbacks? Because really, I would describe a modern fullback as a player. They have to be incredibly athletic. They need to get up and down that side of the pitch. They have to overlap. They have to attack as well as defend. And they absolutely have to kill themselves to get back if they're caught upfield. Do we have that? And, and, and if not, why not? So I'll start with right back and say that No. We just don't. The answer is no. Joe Ward isn't that modern fullback to get forward and and back. And I'm not going to blame him because it's not his fault. Joe Ward hasn't drastically changed right now. We knew how Joe Ward was even before the season started. And the club just didn't replace Wan-Bissaka and it's the club's fault rather than Joe Ward's fault. And then we go to the other side of the pitch, left back. I feel like we do, in a way, have it in Van Aanholt because he can go forward. And on his day, I know he hasn't been for it for a while, but he can defend with with the help of you know um, the midfield. But it's just, can he do it consistently? He hasn't really shown that so far. So yeah, we do have technically a modern fullback in Van Aanholt, but consistency is an issue. And with the right-back position, we just simply don't. And it's the club's fault because we didn't replace Wan-Bissaka and we knew what was going to happen with Joe Ward. And I suppose a question for you then, Sai. 
is it how much of a factor is it that there's not really particularly with uh, Tarek Mitchell who's again had no Premier League experience and no real first team experience to be honest barring a, a couple of bits here and there um is it both both these players have no no one pressuring them um and we've seen players talk a little bit about how that keeps you on your toes because you know someone is vying for your place and it's it's not necessarily a conscious thing um because you know, no, neither PVA nor Joel Ward is going out and expecting and, and giving anything less than than their very best each game. But when they haven't got that threat that they will be out of that team and not playing regular football because someone else is ready to come in and, and take their place, uh, do you think that is a factor? Uh, absolutely a factor. I mean, I think PVA's not been on his A game for uh, well, since middle towards the end of last season. Um, but there's no one, as you said, no one to push him. Schlupp's definitely not a left back. Well, he's playing centre mid these days. But yeah, I think I think you're spot on. And the right back issue has been there for years. If you think about it, before Wan-Bissaka broke onto the scene, it was Ward and Kelly that was sharing that position. So uh, yeah, I definitely think we we need we needed to invest in those two areas, didn't we? And it, neither of them, I don't think, are are performing at Premier League standard at the minute. I think Joel Ward will give his give his all, but he's not. You know, we all know his his best days are past him, and um, PBA just isn't just isn't there these days. So yeah, no, I think it's a definite issue. I mean, we signed Schlupp as a left back, so that that's another little frustration of me. And I know he wasn't outstanding, but he had the he had the shirt at left back for quite a period of time. Um, you know, was functional. And when you think someone's out of form as much as PBA appears to be. Um, you know, it'd be nice to at least give, at least give him a try in that position. And then obviously, you can accommodate Mayer and Schlupp in the same team, and surely Roy would be happy with that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike, Mike, I've got. A, there's a thing on my screen that says Mike stats. Yeah, well, over the past few weeks, there's been a lot of comments, especially on Twitter, um, saying we we can't replace Wan Bissaka with Joe Ward, which obviously we can't. Um, at the moment, there's rumours that we're looking at Danny Simpson, um, and that's not very popular either for both footballing and non-footballing reasons. Um, so as we, as we got PVA and Joel Wars, I've looked at their stats and compared them with uh, Wambasakas. So Wambasaka played 35 games in the Premier League last season for us. Um, PVA played 36, Joe Ward played 7. So obviously the stats are slightly skewed um, in terms of Joe Ward because, you know, they're not a particularly large pool of numbers. Um, but across the 36 games and 35 games for Wambasaka and PVA, um, obviously PVA scored 3 and it's quite well documented that Wambasaka didn't score any. Um, so if we're talking about going forward, first of all, um, people have been discussing about the huge loss um, that Wambasaka is um, in that area um, and I was quite surprised to see that he didn't have quite as much impact as or certainly in terms of stats and obviously no stats tell the full story and um, he did a lot more than putting in crosses but uh, three assists um, four big chances created um, and 56 crosses across the season with a cross actually of only 21% so only one in five of his crosses um, were ending up with a Palace uh, player on the end Again, it depends how they define cross accuracy, but uh, it's very low compared with some of the other players I've looked at. Um, so we're not talking about a, a man that's made enormous difference um, to us going forward. Obviously, in the flow of the game, he did, and that you could see that, and these stats don't play that out quite 
you know, they're not quite fair on him. Um, but if you look at PVA, um, two assists for the season on top of his three goals, um, more passes per game, um, 33 passes per game for Wambasaka, 44 for PVA. Uh, and a crossing actually of better than one in four. Um, he created seven big chances across the season. So he created double as many chances as, as Wambasaka did. Uh, Joel Ward, I mean, naturally, seven crosses. He's got a cross actually of zero. Um, passes per match is down. Um, but what's what's interesting about Joel Ward, his tackle success is much, much higher than Patrick Van Arnholt's. Um So 58 um, percent of all tackles uh, across the season were successful against just 50 for PVA, which seemed very low. Wan-Bissaka, I mean, this is obviously where he excelled 70%, which is enormous comparison to other players. Um, so you're talking about Joel Ward, if you're just looking at the stats, um, being somewhere in the middle between the, the defensive skill of PVA and the defensive skill of Wan-Bissaka. Um, but well behind in terms of going forward. Having said that, PV, uh Bissaka didn't create quite as much on paper as people seem to give him credit for. So whether we were we've been playing this sort of wing back thing quite as much as people think we have, I'm not so sure. Um, it's more that they were involved in the, the slow build up movements again. The the, the 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 bombing forward and crossing Carl Walker style. It seems to me the stats prove is a bit of a myth. Well, definitely, but I would say he was—he was, you know, Wanvisaka was certainly more of a ball carrier than the Ward is these days. Although the Wards, you know, four or five years ago, maybe, you know, he used to get much more involved further up the pitch. I can even remember him breaking out a few skills um, in a few games, which um, always used to make me laugh a little bit. But we don't really see that. He doesn't seem to have that confidence on the ball anymore. But but definitely, very interesting stats indeed. Um, but anyway, we'll certainly revisit that topic in the future, I'm sure. Um, so finally, we've got one last clip, um, which I'm just going to let run now. I'm a Crystal Palace fan from the United States, and watching that game was pathetic. It was embarrassing. But for once, I just want someone to be candid. I want uh, the manager, one of the players, just to be real and talk about how bad they really were, not mention any words not euphemizing anything, just being honest about how bad things are. You got a manager that doesn't know how to put the team together right. You got players that are underachieving. It's just it's just tiring. I just want somebody to be honest because then maybe something can get fixed. Now, D, wouldn't you like to be from America? Wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The accent. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's just, that is a fantastic voice. Thank you very much for the clip. And I'm not going to do you a disservice by just talking about your amazing voice <laughs> and how, mu- how much I wish I was that cool. What I'm going to do is talk about, I, I really enjoyed that because it's very much to the point and, and especially reflects what you're actually asking of the, of the club and, and of the, you know, of the players and of the management. And you do kind of want to want to hear that. I mean, Roy did say after the game, we weren't good enough. But it was kind of off the back of lots of qualifying of, you know, sometimes players don't play as well as they should. And how about sometimes managers don't set up properly and ignore their best players in their best positions and, you know, completely negate themselves by ha- having no real attacking threat and don't show enough respect to the opposition to actually adjust the system to play how they play. How about that? That's what I'd like to hear. So I 100% agree with that. 
I couldn't agree more as well in terms of the candid approach. It was interesting. I don't know if you've seen on the Palace TV um, the page on the online, it's Lucas saying that he hates interviews when we lose because he comes out and people ask him random questions that he stands there and he just wants to say, we were rubbish or we were awful, you know, we lost on the pitch and he has to make up excuses. And he said he absolutely hates it because he is just literally making up excuses. And it was quite interesting to see because you can tell that because you can tell they're disinterested in it and they're not they're not really wanting to be there, which I, I can kind of understand. Also, quickly, I think we need to give Patrick, our US correspondent, a raise because that's twice now we've had some awesome US um, inputs. So um, great to see those comments coming from over there. We definitely want to keep that up. Yeah, give him a hundred percent raise from zero to zero, definitely. Um, it's uh, obviously a great call for for some candid points. Uh, we'll say we mentioned earlier Benteke was surprisingly candid after the game. Suggested to me he he is getting a little bit angry with it, um, especially presumably getting a lot of abuse from people when he thinks that it's not justified and that he could do something about it if it was played a different way. Um, but the the Hodgson post match press conference. He, he might be thinking he's being candid for a 72-year-old man, but to, to say that Sheffield United defended well uh, as an excuse for not having a shot in the second half is absolutely perfect. I mean, what is the fucking point in playing football? It's, it's to negate the fact that somebody's trying to stop you scoring. To use it as an excuse is just, I don't know, it seems ridiculous to me. So, um, yeah, for, for somebody to just show a bit of, bit of balls and just say yes we were crap in these areas it would definitely be nice um it would get boring if you got three or four games of the same thing and just making the same excuses I mean I have heard other managers keep saying we were poor here we were poor here and before long you're Warnock and you're going oh it's a lovely day out we were rubbish here but it was a lovely day and you don't you don't <laughs> want to get into that, but somewhere in the middle would be nice. Strong Warnock impression enjoyed it. Um no I think there's um there's a definite point of order to sort of say that the amount of, the, the credence sort of placed on post-match interviews, you know, you, you're not the, to a degree, you're never going to get the full picture. You're certainly not going to get what, what's really being said behind the scenes or anything like that. But so I, I do want to acknowledge that if, in case there's people at home sitting, want to call this a post-match interview. They're, you know, they're just talking for the media. They don't want to hang out their dirty laundry and all that kind of stuff. I, I get that, but there are plenty of managers who've walked out and said, I got that completely wrong. And that really, and that that's also looking after your players as well, because your players sometimes don't want to hear. Because Roy didn't, Roy, Roy went out and talked about talked down the players, talked about said that they didn't play well and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, and I think sometimes that that can be pretty damaging, particularly if it's said on a regular basis. Sometimes you do want a manager to come out and say, you know what, that that was on me that one. I, I thought this was going to work, it really didn't work, and when I tried to change it, I left it too late, late, and I made the wrong decisions. And you know what? What, what an absolute shit show from me. Sorry about that. Um, we'll do better next week. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, Padre done is it was the exact same with Padre, wasn't it? He it was never his fault. It was always something else. Mm, interesting. Yeah, absolutely right. Anyway, that's more than enough from us. It was obviously a very difficult game to review. A lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Um, I'd sort of calmed down, but then pre-show I had a, a call with uh, with O2 trying to sort out the fact they'd taken too much money off of me and, and the woman I was speaking to. Her name was Ashish, and I think she'd definitely been smoking too much of it um, because no matter how I tried to explain myself, I could not get through to her. So I've started this show very angry, and I haven't, that hasn't subsided. So apologies if we've been too negative, but I don't think there'll be... 
hopefully there's no one out there who genuinely thinks that we could be anything other than the negative about what we've just seen. Um, I will say, oh, hold on, hold on. There's two hands up here, Mike and the, the and the producer. I'm just going to sit back and see what happens. I, I was just going to mention that the huge point that we, uh, we've got to say thank you to the Pens. Uh, we're uh, not number one sports podcast in the Philippines this week, so um, whoever's over there, awesome. Okay, Mikey? Just wanted to find out about DR's chicken. <laughs> yeah, DR chicken update, please, mate. Oh, yeah, um, someone else came in the house and they've sorted it. It's out of the oven. I hope so. I think so. That's good news. If you can let us know later on whether it was too dry, as I suspect, um, that would be, be hugely important. I also want to give a very quick plug to... Uh, Palace Fair and Rich, who's Dundee-based. And for the Dundee Derby, um, there's a few Palace fans going to be taking part in another Walk and Talk event. We've talked about Walk and Talk before. It's uh, a walk ahead of some game, uh, a football match, generally speaking, um, where um, people are raising money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. Um, lots of stuff about mental health. Very, very good. Just If you Google Just Giving uh, and look for Claire Parish raising money, for calm um certainly any of those north of the border put down your shortbread and get out there um and and yeah raise a bit of money and a bit of awareness for mental health if you can please um so that's everything from me thank you very much indeed for all your contact as mike said earlier it was a lot this week so apologies for those of you we didn't get to uh just a note for those of you also using the uh whatsapp um, voice messages which again is 0203 575 1266 chuck us in your contacts then send us a whatsapp voice message but when you do make sure your hand isn't over the microphone on your phone because then it's quite tough to hear you um there was definitely at least one clip where that happened unfortunately um but yeah and uh yeah but really appreciate those giving us a new dimension to the show uh if you enjoyed the show make sure you listen uh sorry subscribe on all your favorite podcast apps and give us a five-star rating to spread the love and the word um of course the love sports show is live on uh, tuesday 8 to 9 p.m so check that one out podcasts will follow the um the show as well and finally whew, there's a lot going on there's uh, the preview show, which will probably be uh, will be out on Thursday night, I believe. That will be the recording date anyway, uh, where you will get to hear from Terence, Sam and Albert looking ahead to what will be an incredibly easy trip to, you know, to, to put the spring back in our step at Old Trafford, where we always get a win. So cheers, everyone. Thanks to Mikey for, for producing, to DR, Cy, and to Mike, and to myself. I'm going to thank myself this week as well. See you next time. Bye. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? 
at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.